Sonic Statesman.com. So, hello and uh, welcome everybody to Sonic Talk number 85. Number 85 um, br- brings us all together on an absolutely boiling hot day in the UK. I don't know what it's like where everybody else is. Let's ask. So, uh, Mr. Rich Hilton from Connecticut, is it a boiling hot day where you are? It is not. It is absolutely gorgeous out. Ah. I'm, in fact, I'm thinking about starting to do these from my back porch outside on the laptop. You know what? I don't blame you. I would if I could. It's, I can't even open the window, though, because uh, obviously there's just tons of workmen hammering and stuff outside, so it would just be impossible. But I'm working on the idea of maybe, uh, maybe some outdoor action. Well, Rich, it's good to have you aboard, and thanks for joining us on this lovely sunny day. And um, what about you, Dave Robinson, from Hello Pro Sound News Europe? Where, what's it like where you are? Uh, well, I'm overlooking the Thames and uh, the Millennium Bridge, and uh, a lot of people around in London. Not surprisingly, today. Ah, uh, tourists, eh? Everywhere. I, I was in um, I was in Ireland at the weekend. I was over at a fiftieth birthday, and it was it was very lovely over there. Um, a group of us uh, had a bit of a scratch band going on, and uh, I was playing the uh, the Korg Trinity for the first time in a long time, and uh, we. Uh, the, the guy's birthday was got some musicians together, but uh, the night before, the uh, the lead vocalist got drunk and um, fell out of the loft. Oh, fell eight foot. <laughs> He's a big six foot two man, and he fell straight out of the loft Ow. and had to be taken to hospital oh, with three right? cracked ribs and ah. a, po- a possible ruptured spleen. Oh, that's oh. nasty. So um, that kind of put a bit of a damper on things, but. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't actually perform, but we had somebody, uh, somebody else stand in um, who was very good. And one of the sing- songs we did was "Hurt." I hurt myself today, which couldn't have been more appropriate. Did you get him to sort of wheeze it for you? <laughs> <laughs> you should have done. Just one last thing. Well, Dave, um, sounds like you had a whale of a time. It was. It's very nice. It's County Leitrim up in the uh, the, the northwest of uh, Ireland. Very, very beautiful part of the world. Uh, well, that's Dave Robinson there from prosignnewseurope.com, where you can download uh, an online and free electronic version of the magazine, which I can thoroughly recommend. Yeah, thank you very much. And, of course, Rich Hilton there, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Uh, let's see who else we've got. We've got Mr. Mark Tinley. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Good. I'm in my garden. Ah, I'm envious. I wish I was in the garden, although I do need a bit of shade because I burn very easily. Do you? Yes. I don't. I can sit in this sun for, like... 24 hours and I'll just go browner and browner and browner. Yeah. You're going to die young, though. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I maintain oh, I'm going to live till I'm 140. Oh, I'm yes, of course. Keep... I'm sorry. I forgot. I'll just you're, have you're my le- skin replaced. You'll just look like a leather handbag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll be like a man bag for yourself. Anyway, Mark, glad, glad you're here. I'm, it doesn't sound, it sounds like um, you've got it quiet. There's, the birds and bees aren't making too much of a noise. Um, so thanks for joining us. Um, and also, uh, last but not least, Mr. Dave Spears from GeForceSoftware.com, makers of fine software musical instruments. Mark Tinley, of course, MySpace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. I'm getting all my URLs out of sync. So Dave Spears, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Jolly good. So um, it's suggested, because we know that um, Mr. Robinson is a, is a busy man, you know, being an editor up in London and stuff. So, uh, <laughs> let, he should patronising well, the right word. No, that's not right. I, I, th- <laughs> I think he, had, he actually only has the meeting room book for a certain amount of time because there's lots of other people who are more busy than him, I guess, in, the, in, such a, in his giant organisation. Well, actually, what I'm trying to do, just finish the magazine. Now, because of the, it's the AES, of course, next week. Oh, that's true. In, um, in Amsterdam, and we do the AES news, so we're putting that together. 
Um, so I've been party to a few exclusives, which, uh, well, I can't really tell you about, but there's a couple of interesting things that are going to be launched that, that are very much um, up the Sonic State street. Um, so more on that um, after the AES, I guess. Yes, well, we'll be going, or at least Andy will be going, and, and so will Dave Robinson. So uh, there might even be the occasional meeting of minds over a mm. video camera. Who knows? So, well, welcome, everybody. Sonic Talk number 85 going live on... Thursday the 8th of May, well into May and into summer, nice and hot here. So let's jump straight into um, our first topic. Actually, no, first, Mark, I wanted to say thank you for turning me on to the WNYC Radio Lab podcast. It's absolutely brilliant. I totally concur. Um, really good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really good. You should get over and check it out. Jad Abramrad and Robert Krulwich uh, do a really good job over there. The sound, the sound design itself is worth it's worth listening to it just for that totally. even if the topics were rubbish the sound design's brilliant so. it is it's really but really the topics well are all, always really interesting the only thing is i've listened to all of them now so i've got nothing left to listen to in the gym so i need somebody to um to turn me on to a, a, another podcast that i can listen to when I'm running yeah okay well there's a challenge well um well let's move on to our first um topic this week and uh, this was sent in by uh, Bartle Hoygaard who's um, a regular contributor to the show. Hi Bartle, how you doing and all that and uh, he said, he pointed me at this um, this rather interesting paper that was um, put out at the Karolinska Institute which is a Swedish kind of think tank giant um, academic kind of body that seems to supply or have something to do with the voting of um, Nobel Prize winners you know in the science departments and anyway they've come up with a paper which is that intelligent and rhythmic accuracy go hand in hand. So apparently people who score high on intelligence tests are also good at keeping time. It's in Swedish research. Those who scored high intelligence also had the least rhythmic variation. So I don't know whether it means that they've got no groove. But that, doesn't that mean drummers are clever? Well, no. this, was, this was the point I sort of thought, thought it might... Because we, we know that's not true. Well, well the this, uh, this drummer jokes and blonde jokes are pretty much the same thing, exactly. aren't they? Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Dave is actually um, a drummer, but he's not blonde, so so you're all right then. I don't know. I sent it to our um, kind of genius programmer, and he came back saying um, that his hypothesis is that um, it, this is better done with fewer internal connections in the brain to confuse things. And uh, he also added that uh, drummers, on average, are reasonably intelligent and intellectual, but most of that is sitting in Neil Pert's head. The rest of you just drag it down. <laughs> <That's one. laughs> yeah, nice. Apparently, um, you also, if you've, you've got a high volume of white matter in the parts of the brains and frontal lobes involved in problem solving, planning, planning and managing time means you'd be good at a drummer. drumming. But I would have thought if you were intelligent, you had a lot of things going on, then keeping absolute rock solid time would be quite hard because you'd always be sort of thinking of something else. You'd be kind of deviating from the, you know, your mind would wander. What's, such what's white matter? matter? Isn't that the stuff they fill up fish fingers with? It's like the opposite of dark matter, I think. Yeah. I don't know. It's a short answer. I don't know, Rich. I mean, uh, you must know a few clever drummers. I do. Yeah. I do. I, I, I couldn't tell in this study whether they were more impressed with the people's ability to repeat a simple phrase over and over again with no variation, or whether they were actually testing their rhythmic accuracy vis-a-vis -vis like a metronome or a you know, regular beat, you know, a reference of some kind. It wasn't very clear, was it? Um, but either way, um, I don't necessarily think that intelligent people would be more distracted mentally and therefore less able to keep time or keep the same simple rhythm going. And uh, I, I just flash back to the beginning of 2001 with the monkeys with the bones banging on the logs, you know, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's one hell of a rhythm. <laughs> 
let's take this a little stage further. If you're too clever, doesn't that mean you're going to be too perfect? So your drumming would actually be not very appetizing. You know, it wouldn't make you feel groovy because it'd be so perfect that, you know, how do you handle a shuffle? You know, it's sort of, isn't there about a bit of feel and instinctiveness that goes to that as well? Dave, you must know about this. You're a drummer. Uh, no, I know nothing. <laughs> I know nothing. <laughs> Are you tapping your knees while you talk? I just hit him with the hammers to paraphrase. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe you put a t-shirt on with a, you, you put a t-shirt on with a big T on it. You know, you've got the um, <laughs> base. You just add the T, don't you? Oh. Can I say something about this, then? Yes, please do. Okay, so there's no standard I test. Uh, there's no standard IQ test. So I want to know how they've measured the people's intelligence. And I yeah. want to say that I've got an IQ of between 137 and 174, depending on which system I'm tested on. Right. So on Mensa, I think I'm about 137, which is the one below genius. So I'm not a genius. I'm just in the top two or three percent of intelligence and my rhythmic accuracy is absolutely crap and i've been doing it for years right been a musician for like what 25 years or something and i've been practicing over the years and i've been improving uh with constant practice but in that time i've destroyed half my brain cells by taking drugs so i'm definitely (laughs) stupider So as I get more stupid, my rhythmical accuracy improves. So I actually think completely the opposite's true. That's a very interesting theory. Mm. I'd pr- probably go along with that. Speaks Could we get the- a white paper published on this? <laughs> I mean, for, for a body that seems to be kind of have something to do with the Nobel Prize you know, business. It does seem a little bit light on um, substantive kind of <laughs> and qualitative well, no, I'm, information, I'm sure doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sure the actual paper probably has a little more uh, detail. In it, okay, well, maybe, maybe the person who wrote the press release wasn't really thinking very hard about you know what might be needed in there to qualify some of those statements. Well, Nick, I, I can see you. I can see you going up to Sweden. You're going, you know, walking into um, the the Nobel Institute and saying, "Nobel Peace Prize. What's he done? Has he actually, you know, been out? He's been waving a flag. He's, he's done nothing. These people. That's not Being what I'm saying at all. <laughs> actually, Dave, I think you're quite wrong. <laughs> I, I think I might publish a white paper. Yeah, so just simply saying that geeks can't dance. Therefore, this disproves this <laughs> completely. Uh, well, there's a point. There you go. Well, as we head into party season, then, uh, you know, you can just imagine all of those end of term um, university um, academics kind of getting together at parties. I mean, yeah, what about their timing? You're quite right. I think I, think I might have to agree with your point. Yeah, geeks can't dance. I mean, I must be a geek if I'm in the 2% of intelligence. And I tried to learn to salsa dance for years and years. I went along to all the lessons and everything because it was a bit trendy around the turn of the century, wasn't it? And, I, and I'm completely dyspraxic. I'm just rubbish at any kind of sort of, you know, foxy, sexy movement. I just look like a complete... <laughs> I always, whenever I think of bad dancers, I always think of Oliver Reed in uh, The Adventures of Byron von Munchausen, where he's kind of trying to dance with, uh, what's her face? Um, oh, I forget, the, the, the woman who plays Venus. And, uh, and, and he's just sort of jumping up and down with a club in one hand, and it's just, she's just not impressed. And you can understand why, really. You don't think of Andy McCluskey? Oh, no, I haven't. I can't visage um, Andy McCluskey dancing. Mm, I, I tend not, does it something is it something you think about a lot dave yeah <laughs> and bobby gillespie famous bad dancers bless you go and check out some youtube footage of, of uh, omd and primal scream and you'll see what i mean yeah all right i will see i, lo- I loved it when they brought out acid house because all you've got to do is sort of wiggle and wave your arms in the air Just <laughs> and that was brilliant that's when i started dancing because i, I you know 
it was easy. Why didn't we ever see the Acid Dancing Disco Championships? You know, we saw Disco Championships. <laughs> Dan Hartman, we could have had the we could have had national TV primetime Saturday night, the Rave Dancing Championships. That would have just been <laughs> no, with Bruce Forsyth. A bit of Bruce, I, I think so. <laughs> The Hitman and Her was nearly that, though, wasn't it? Oh, gosh. I nearly went on that show. I actually refused. I refu- I... <laughs> Adam went on it. Did he? How was, yeah. What was it like? I remember... Oh, yeah. That's a, that was, a oh, huge... it was terrifying. Terrifying. Michaela Strachan. Michaela Strachan and um, oh, Pete she's Waterman. she's scary. She's really scary. She's got so much energy. She's frightening. Yeah, I think she was just a, you know... She was kind of fun. But anyway, let's, we, we did, there was a comment a couple of weeks back saying, is it me or are you gradually going further and further down side roads with these topics? And I think that we've probably <laughs> reached the very end of the road with this particular one. Bernie Consentino, who sent us in a query, um, and he says, uh, I've scoured the net for reviews on custom fit in-ear monitors. Um, and he's obviously needs to get some. And he said, perhaps your panel might have some ideas. What are the good ones? And he sent a bunch of links in. And I've never used them. Um, and, I, and I, I would imagine maybe Rich Hilton has and, you know, various other people have. So maybe we could get a kind of, um, you know, what your favourite ones are and why. Who used in-ears last? I would imagine maybe Rich Hilton. I have never once used them. Really? And I have. Know, I don't know a darn thing about them, but I know Mark does. <laughs> I've used some very nice Shaw in-ear monitors that gave me a horrific ear infection. So don't buy those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's the, no, no, that is the danger. On. Well, no, it's actually that's that's quite a valid point because it's quite it's a danger of if you wear you know headphones a lot, especially in ear ones, you can get ear infections. It's just one of the things that happens because you're blocking, you know, it gets kind of hot and sweaty in there, and th- that's true. Your audiolo- your audiologist or your ear specialist will recommend that you don't put anything at all in your ear. I think, in fact, I think the the phrase the man used when he look, was looking at my ear infection was, "Don't put anything smaller than your elbow in your ear." Or you're, or you're likely to cause problems. So um, technically, you probably shouldn't wear them at all. Oh. If, he, if he wants to buy some, he should just go and see an audiologist. And they'll and talk him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Where's this Bernie guy? Where's he from? Is he in the States? Yes, I, I think he probably is. Well, over here, if I might sort of plug um, my, uh, my friend um, Richard, his company, Sensacom, mm-hmm. Um, and I did the search for in-ear monitors, uh, in-ear uh, moulds, before uh, we, uh, we started the podcast, and uh, Sensacom is, is up there in the top three on the Google searches. They've just brought out this uh, kind of product where you, you buy a voucher, and then you can take a voucher to, to your local audiologist and get a, uh, get a fitting um, for, uh, for moulds, as far as I know. Ah, and, right, okay. Uh, but they, they make, his company makes all kinds of um, gadgets and widgets for the ears. And uh, I know a lot of business that they do uh, are for um, special moulds for, um, for police, um, police motorcycle riders, for the, for the helmets, the crash helmets. And uh, they've often got um, the police coming in for uh, sort of fittings, you know, these, and also kind of people looking a bit shady. There might be Secret Service, that kind of stuff, you know, coming in morning, but, you well, know, they can't reveal talking what, into their what they're sleeves. But, um, yeah, Sensicom, they do a lot, of, um, a lot of different designs, a lot of designs that are, that are um, sort of uh, tinnitus um, kind of uh, de- designed to, to, to prevent uh, tinnitus, that kind of stuff. Are they expensive? Because that's the one thing I found. There seemed to be a massive variation. I mean, I looked at a few things. I, so I looked at the Future Sonics, um, and their in-ears were 800 bucks, including mm. the ear mould. 
They're, they're very, then, they're a very highly rated company. Aren't and then, they? The, but then I saw these things called Live Wires, which looked pretty good as well. And they had replaceable cables and dual drivers, and they were two four nine. But you had to get your, you had to send your ear mold off. But they're all various different. Then they look, they look like a, a much better sort of value. But I, I don't know what they're like to use. Any of these ones are like to use. But they talked about um, the Live Wires. Apparently, don't have the phase issues, which is apparently something you need to watch out for with dual driver in ear systems. My my recommendation uh, is to use the little solid <laughs> ones, which are made out of hard pink plastic, and to buy a closed system with. But they have a hole drilled in the side of them, and then they give you they give you a set of these little uh, clear plastic bungs, which you put into the hole, and they make a dramatic difference to the amount of bass response that it has. In other words. Uh, it, it alters the size of the hole going out the back of it into the outside world. I seal mine up completely because I don't want any external sound coming in as well. They, they, that little tiny hole will let sound in. And who makes those? A company beginning with W, which I can't remember. Westone, I think. Ah, yeah, I did look at Westone. I did see that. Their, their okay. website wasn't My- very forthcoming on the information, but perhaps worth a look. I mean, mine was three hundred bucks in nineteen ninety-five. I think right. so. That you're going to pay a bunch, aren't you? I imagine. I imagine the public liability insurance on these kind of products must be an enormous, um, cons- you know, must be massive. And then the other thing is, then no, you know, after a few years, they're no good. They only last three or four years because oh, really? the only part of the human, well, the part of the human body that continues to grow for your entire lifespan is your ears. Mm. So by the time you get to eighty, ninety, or when I'm one hundred and forty, I'll look like Dumbo, won't I? Is that why? <laughs> is that why um, older gentlemen have absolutely massive ears? Larger ears, yes. I'm really still worried because my ears are quite big already, so I am going to be Dumbo by the time I'm eighty. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm I'm sure surgery will improve. uh, That's all right. Poor poor Prince Charles, though, eh? (laughs) What's he got to look forward to? (laughs) What was it about getting sidetracked? Yeah, sorry, I'm off again, aren't I? (laughs) Okay, well, um, so Dave Spears, you're the um, only person who hasn't hasn't commented on this one. Have you got any um, insightful knowledge into this subject? Uh, The only experience I've got is with the Future Sonics ones. That's it. Right. I don't don't like them, but... um, for the moment, the Future Sonics. I mean, I'm surprised your your guy said that he couldn't find any decent reviews because they they come highly recommended in my experience. Most live bands will use Future Sonic stuff, aren't they? Is that right? Oh, okay. In, in, certainly in my experience. Ah, all right. Well, there, there we go. Future Sonic seems to be the one. They're the most expensive. So sorry about that, but that's just the way it goes. In my band, the uh, lead singers have begun to use them. What Future Sonics? I don't know about Future Sonics, but in years. Um, last, I don't know, they may have been Sennheiser. I don't know. But, but uh, they, they started using them on stage, and I'm glad. No, it's great. I know when I've been present at rehearsals, when people are getting used to them for the first time, it, it, it's definitely, they find it a bit weird. You know, and it's very, it's, it must be a, it's a different kind of technique to getting the monitor balance right and all of that thing, because it's, 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 you kind of lose the spatial awareness that you're in. It's very much a cocooning kind of thing, which must be kind of a little bit strange sometimes. Very, very much so. I mean, the thing I use them for as a programmer is I will put them in my ears and seal the whole of the outside world out, and then I'll put earmuffs on on top of them, like sound uh, ear defenders, I think right. Americans would call them. And then, um, and then I can program keyboards really quietly without having to deafen myself, and despite the fact that there's people all around with loud guitars and stuff. I did Fields of the Nephilim last year, and the, and the guitarist was this guy called Giz Butt, who used to be in... Um, Prodigy. 
and he was incredibly just wanted to turn everything up full and i managed to still be able to hear what i was trying to program in my in ears um you know quietly right, without having you. to deafen myself Ah. The only problem was every time Carl, the singer, tried to speak to me, I was just yeah. pulling, drawing blank faces at him because I couldn't like work out what he was saying. So, so yeah, can you just eye chat me? Then I'll be able to respond to you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> The wonderful sounds of Lips Inc. There. Fantastic. Uh, and, and Funky Town, which I believe is probably their largest and only known hit. I'm sure they've been going... They have been going wonder, for, yeah, but number one in 40 countries. Can't say and, wrong. And uh, strangely resonant, Nick, isn't it? You know, it didn't get to number one in the UK. But at least, at least they were kept off the top by a quality record. Yeah, not Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Timmy Fallot. Yeah, right. <laughs> we all have a cross to bear dave <laughs> we actually got it from a, a press release from the studio and uh you know we kind of uh, uh we knew when we saw that we had to run that story um because it's just such a seminal single and it, it was it, of course it was covered by a band called pseudo echo who who were also a one-hit wonder so i think it's quite unusual for two bands to be one-hit wonders with the same song so that's kind of set a bit of a record there i believe well that's a possibility yeah I, didn't didn't george michael have something to do with a kind of lips ink kind of thing wasn't there something something around the i was trying to look for something about it but i couldn't find it and I, i'm pretty sure it was a, it was a sort of funky town type of track which either used the guitar chords or something like that i just remember there was a, a about but maybe not nobody's there's a there's tumbleweed blowing across the virtual space between <laughs> us so perhaps not so carry on dave so this was a yeah but this was a story from uh, that you kind of sent us before it went yeah, into process you know they've, they've, i mean there's nothing more to it and it's just been digitally transferred um from a uh, from an r24 track um but it's just it was just an excuse to um to be a little bit nostalgic, really, over over kind of one of those kind of straight. I mean, it was unique in its day, 1980. Spent ages in the charts in the UK. Um, you know, sat at number three, then got to number two. Didn't quite make it to number one, and then just had that sound that you didn't really hear anywhere else. And of course, that did 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 was sampled by um, uh, by uh, Pop Will Eat Itself, I believe, on uh, Defcon One. Uh, you, you can find it in the middle of that with uh, next to uh, the sample of, uh, of the Osmond's Wild Horses and then there's Funky Town in there as well. And yeah, and it was just one of the first uh, few singles that I ever bought when I kind of was, was um, tuning myself to uh, pop music at the age of 11. Going out and buying Funky Town was, uh, was quite something. I remember, um, well, I mean, and still, you can hear it at most fairs on the waltzes. Yeah. <laughs> Hold tight. Exactly. Which kind of ties into a topic of last week, but... Do you know, Nick, that is really strange because my memory of hearing it is walking through Cannock Park, going to the fair at the age of 11. That is quite spooky well, that you just mentioned that. Stephen, Stephen Greenberg is the chap who, uh, who did it, and the vocals were by uh, Cynthia Johnson, according to my facts anyway, who was Miss Black Minnesota 1976. Apparently he wrote it because he, was a bit, he used to live in Minneapolis, which is a shame PJ's not here because uh, he'd be able to comment. Um, he used to live in Minneapolis, was getting a bit sick of it and wanted to move to New York. And this was kind of a song about that. 
hence the vocals and the lyrics. So New York is funky town. New York is funky town. And mm-hmm. another fact here, uh, it can be played on the telephone, and it goes 33231 <laughs> <laughs> How on earth did you figure that out? I didn't. I read it on the internet. It's probably a lie. <laughs> I tried it at home, and it was sort of. But, I mean, you play anything that goes beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 in that rhythm, and it sounds a bit like Funky Town, frankly. So, I mean, it's a bit vague. Um, Dave Spears, you're bound to know what the vocoder was on this, aren't you? I think it was a Moog, wasn't it? I did I did hear that. I was just testing your... Yes, well, it says it. The song features a Moog vocoder effect that proved to be its major calling card. I would, however, disagree, because this song is stuffed full of musical hooks. I mean, it's there's just so many of them. I mean, the the kind of the guitar, ding, ding, you know, that was huge, the huge hook. I don't know, it's full of them. What do you think, Rich? I mean, there's just tons and tons of them in there. Yes, there certainly are. And as Dave said, it sounded unlike anything else at the time. It, it kind of had that flavor of that popcorn song to some extent. Mm. Uh, but but uh, it wasn't a big part of my social upbringing, but um, there it is. <laughs> thing is she went off to work with um the time which was an awesome band in my opinion yeah and also still sings with sounds of blackness which i think are a fantastic group cool whilst this was incredibly irritating <laughs> Did, didn't, it, didn't it work for you i can't you just vi- envisage all of those kind of um, intelligent geeks dancing in perfect time to uh, to this at parties across the country across the I globe think- I think it was just kind of too full of hooks, and they were all very kind of nursery rhyme. Too many hooks, Mr. Mozart. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, you know, really, the sh- the, having grown up on a kind of diet of Chic and Sister Sledge and all that kind of stuff, this just paled into insignificance. This was like pop pap by comparison. Well, that, that's true. I mean, they did borrow fairly heavily from the Chic sound with, in terms of, you know, the strings and what have you and the disco vibe, wouldn't you say, Rich? Yeah, to some extent. I think this... It occurred simultaneously. It was a movie. Um, everybody was kind of listening to Miko Minardo, I think. And but but um, may I take a sidetrack back into the vocoder world for a minute and the Moog vocoder idea? Does anybody know um, wh- wh- what's your first experience of the vocoder? The first known use of of a vocoding type system in uh, public broadcast music? Herbie Hancock. Anybody? Herbie Hancock. That was a Sennheiser, I know no, that. Uh, didn't, um, yeah, there was that. Well, hello. Hello. Well, uh, the one I know of is um, Walter Carlos's Clockwork Orange score. Ooh, yeah. Wherein, apparently, he took a Moog fixed filter bank, modified it to have separate outputs for each band, routed up some envelope followers and some VCAs, and went to town. You know, created basically his, her own vocoder, and uh, did that... Uh, uh, the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But uh, there is a, rendi- a rendition of the fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, and, it fe- and the choir bits are done using a, apparently, according to an interview I read with Ms. Carlos, a uh, uh, hacked-together vocoder out of Moog modular parts uh, wow. in the way that That's, I described. So that was what, late 60s? Yeah. yeah, maybe early seventies, but it's it's pretty early on. I guess we could check. It wouldn't be yeah. take too long to check when Clockwork Orange was released. Mm. All right, cool. Funky Town was recorded at Sound Eighty Studios in Minneapolis in nineteen eighty, um, and apparently it's been licensed for 
more than 20 feature films, including Shrek 2 and A History of the World. So he must be kind of fairly ka-ching. You know, he must be kind of fairly comfortable. And they did record sort of a number of other albums, but I guess they just never recreated the the music. Uh, you know, it just didn't quite work in the same way. But Dave, you were saying that they um, they baked the tape and that was um, that's just to just to get it back onto Digital Master because they're going to send yeah. it out there for more people want to remix it and sample it and what have you. So it's still got legs. Yeah. 28 years later. Hey. He says, a day doesn't go by when I don't get a request to license the tracks for some kind of use somewhere around the world with a big smile on his face. No <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. Right, well, this is kind of the big topic. It kind of broke while we were um, on air last time, because, Dave, you were... Can I actually say, I was trying to call you. I know, well, you should know better than to call... I was trying to break into the podcast last Wednesday to let somebody know so that you could have actually discussed it live. And, of course, there's no no way in when this is going on. (laughs) No, well, I I, I mean, I just wouldn't answer the phone. I looked at it and thought, what the hell are you doing ringing me at this time? You know I'm podcasting. quarter to three. (laughs) Quarter to three, I got the news that Sound uh, Sound Control had gone into administration and then I got a couple of phone calls and then I got a few more phone calls and then it was kind of um, not exactly all, all hell breaking loose but it certainly was Black Wednesday I mean let's put this in some kind of context I mean I suppose uh, this is kind of one of the, the UK's largest retailer in terms of the number of music stores Okay, uh, they've got something like 26 stores they also cover brands like uh, Turnkey, Sound Control, Soho Soundhouse. They're sort of quite big, and I think Carillion as well, um, who made um, sort of custom bespoke PCs mm. for music. So it's that the whole company seems to have gone into administration and, and affected all of those brands. And I don't know. I mean, um, th- this probably won't mean so much to Rich, um, but maybe when you've been in London, you might have visited some of their stores. I mean, Turnkey, I remember when I was a kid, you know, that's what you used to do. You save up your money, you go up to London, Soho, Soundhouse or Turnkey and buy, your, can, I think I bought an MS-10, you know, and that's that's how I got into it. And they've been around for forever. So it's quite a shock. Mm. Um, just to kind of cover the, the, the basic facts, um, apparently there's 160-plus uh, redundancies. Ten stores have been closed. They're now in administration. Apparently they're going to be running the stores for 12 weeks uh, while they're trying to find a buyer for the company. Uh, and after that, I mean, who knows? I mean, it looks likely they're going to lose the lot. But, um, yeah, kind of sad. Um, but... There's quite. I mean, I remember. I don't remember having a good customer experience when I went to Turnkey or Soho Soundhouse. It was very much kind of, you know, commission based. Rack them up. I haven't got time to talk to you. I'm too busy selling things to people who don't need the stuff explaining to them, sort of thing. You know, and I, that was my opinion. But there have been, you know, to counter that, there've been quite a lot of people. Otherwise, I agree about Turnkey. I mean, in in 1982, Turnkey were absolute bastards for want of a better word they were just, just a horrible shop to go in they were more the kind of if you're not robert plant yeah bugger off they were the only place you could of. buy this kind of stuff so they just get tons uh, but, of kids like us coming up from the country going, but, the, oh, but then there was soho soundhouse were great i loved soho soundhouse and they had that sale every year oh yeah camp where out. they'd sell things for a pound and the pe- people queued right around soho square waiting to get in to buy like a flanger for a pound or whatever and I bought my 909 from them, new, for 169 quid. Woohoo! And, wow. I, and I bought uh, S900s and S1000s and things from them, and the people in there were really nice. They were probably people around my age who were into music technology and were great to talk to, and so I liked Soho Soundhouse. But then Turnkey swallowed them up years ago, didn't they? Yeah. Mm. And, Did you buy anything for a pound? No. <laughs> I, was too, I, I was too lazy to queue up, but one rich. of my mates queued up all night to go and buy some bass parts for a pound. 
so um, what? But what is? What do you think this means, Dave Robinson? I mean, is it a kind of? Do you think they've just gone down because they weren't? you know, strong enough to swim with the big fish, or is it a kind of well, wider... They, they were a big fish, that's the thing. I mean, if you look at... Um, there seem to be two stories emerging. One is that they... Um, in fact, Deloitte, who's the uh, the administrator, says that they've been affected by increased competition from the internet. And, of course, that's been the big bugbear of the high street retailer for the last couple of years. Guy goes into the shop, has a look at the equipment, has a play with it for half an hour, goes home, orders it from... No, Sweetwater, or or from Sonic State, or from you know, orders it from elsewhere, orders it online to get yeah. his uh, to get his discount. He doesn't um, he doesn't see that he should buy it from the store because he could create a relationship with the store and maybe after sales service and then you know um, become become part of of a, of a bigger thing if you like. Um, well, they had websites, didn't they? I mean, quite you know. Well, they featured. did. Um, according to uh, and the story that we're carrying on Pro Sound News, which is because uh, Gary Gary Cooper, who wrote that story, um, interviewed Bob Thomas, who was head of TIAC, um and is on the music industry's uh, the MIA. He thinks basically um, when Sound Control bought the Academy of Sound, which was the second largest retailer in the country, they kind of overstretched themselves, and they didn't really. Um, this is, you know, repeating what, what Bob has said, but they didn't really um, strip down the, the, the management. They didn't really um, cut their costs. So they're not duplication. Right. Yeah. And therefore, they've kind of suddenly found that they, um, they've probably bought too much stock and uh, they've overstretched themselves. They've been a little bit hit by the internet, but they didn't restructure properly. And suddenly, they can't pay the bills. And so they've had to um, declare administration. So it sort of sounds like almost they've been hit by being sort of a bit too nice to their staff, which is kind of quite commendable, but, you know, because they didn't want well, to let yeah, anyone go. They're having to be quite, you know, severe with them. I mean, it's, just, um, just, I, I think what you'll find is that, uh, again, from sort of a couple of chats I've had, the turnkey store will not disappear. Somebody knows that that is, you know, that is the UK music shop, whether you like it, whether you think that the, the staff are iffy or not. Somebody will buy that, and that will be up and running again at some point. You know, there's only going to be so many people who could buy the, the shops that are left. But, you know, in 12 weeks, we'll see what happens. And Do you think I should be looking out for their advert in um, Melody Maker, if that's still going, or NME or whatever it is? Like well, the liquidation yeah, with the you know boss flanger one pound Roland TB three hundred three. You can queue up again for, with a pound. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, on a more serious note, I mean that they were also exclusive distributors for some quite you know big brands who probably can't afford to lose very much money if they were holding a lot of their stock, like like Moog Music, for instance, um, Dave Dave Smith Instruments, Access. You know, they're big. And quite important synthesizer brands. I mean, just yeah. hope that they're not going to pull anyone down with them because I don't know how much stock they would have held. There are some players who are at risk because, um, again, what I've read on, on one of the forums is that uh, the, 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 um, the administrator is holding on to the stock. You, if you're a supplier, you can't go in and, and grab your stock from them. They, it's not the way it works. No. So you... there's, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a, there's a few people who could be, uh, could be damaged by this. Presumably, you. I mean, after kind of various other. I mean, Dave, Dave Robinson, uh, Dave Spears. I mean, you, you would. What was there was another big um, uh, retailer went down, owing lots of money, wasn't there? A few years ago, so presumably people would have actually kind of felt would have protected themselves with the way they structured their accounts and all of that stuff with with this with these people, the, the manufacturers, presumably. I don't think they do. I think you know. Again, that sort of compounds the problem. I'm certain that if somebody hasn't paid for something, you can go and get it back. 
You could, there is a Lien system where you can uh, yeah. you, you can try, but the problem is, I mean, administrators know the law absolutely to the nth degree. I mean, there's no good can come out of this for anybody I can see other than the administrators because you can guarantee whatever's in the bank is going to be gobbled up in administrators' fees. Yeah. Um, I think it's reasonably um, safe to I say. I don't that. know that that's always true because Deloitte Touche were the company that took our the company I worked for, Startle PLC, into liquidation, and they paid in. Uh, they played out all the money to the employees. There's a certain, you know, like things that have to be met in order. And I'm sure that staff are quite high up on that. So I'm sure that all of those people will get redundancy and holiday pay and all that sort of stuff. First, if the money is the there. Government. The, government, yeah. but the government underwrites it. Is that get, where yeah. that comes yeah. from, is it? Yeah. Right. And, and in our case, we bought this big system from a company called AL Digital or something for digitizing CDs, which I sort of ordered or whatever but we hadn't paid for it and they were given permission to come into the building and take away anything that was rightfully theirs so i'm sure that those synth manufacturers will be able to negotiate getting their stuff back if it hasn't been paid for there are some companies own you know just kind of lease the floor space within the store so for example roland uh, i believe have gone in and kind of put stickers all over their stuff saying don't touch it belongs to us and that doesn't right. form part of the sound control inventory. Oh yeah, because that was a new. There's been a new trend in retailing. I think it was learnt from. They did, don't they do it in guitar centres and places like that, where you know the manufacturer actually has their own sort of sub sub stall franchise. Yeah, it's like a franchise where they can go in and there's a <laughs> Roland area or a Yamaha area or whatever, and you can kind you of mean just, like perf- like perfume sales staff in, in big department stores. Yeah, in boots. That's it. Just like that. Yeah, <laughs> and they've all got orange faces. <laughs> the problem is is it takes a while to set up these relationships and when a company goes away you then got to spend all this time finding someone else to deal with you know f- researching and figuring out whether or not they're kind of right for you etc agreeing terms it's just a lot of energy that mm. kind of goes to waste i suppose and of course looking looking back at you know where rich is um you know guitar center have been circling sound control for a couple of years i would say there's been all kinds of rumour and speculation that Sound Control were coming, um, that, that Guitar Centre were coming over here to to buy up a chain and uh, to, to make uh, inroads into the UK and then maybe into Europe. Well, maybe they'll be able to buy it for a bargain now. Rich, the same thing happened with Mars Music, didn't it, um, a few years back? Because they were advertisers with us and we had an affiliate deal and, and what have you, and they just went down and, you know, that was that. Yeah, apparently so. And they were quite um. big. Uh, yeah, not in any area I'm in. I'd never been in one of their stores, but I know nationally they were big. Mm. I would. I, I think it's interesting that United States chains might want to buy into this as a franchise, sort of a franchise concept for them. You know, may, may, maybe some United States companies will try to open up in these. You know, uh, buy these people or whatever. You know, for. Get a little more for your weakened dollar. Yeah, well, maybe or maybe we'll see Toman uh, moving in to open a store in the UK. Eh? Well, that would be a bit of a that would throw a cat amongst the pigeons. Hmm. I think it will turn into cash converters, personally. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> maybe so. Okay, I need to go, guys. I'm being go. Uh, Dave Robinson. Right. Sonic Talk, sponsored by Yamaha Music Production, producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-Series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasynth.com
sonictalk.com Sonic Talk. Okay, so well, we'll say goodbye there to uh, Mr. Dave Robinson from ProSignNewsEurope.com. And um, obviously, the, what's in the news at the moment is the Moog guitar. Now, um, it was, was it? it was speculation, wasn't it? It was a big April Fool's thing, and um, everybody's going, no, they can't possibly release a guitar, you know. And, and as it transpires, they have. At the Ether Music Festival in Asheville, um, just end of last month, um, they basically showed the Moog guitar. And uh, I was fortunate enough, we, it was a real shame actually, because we were offered an exclusive video uh, interview and kind of review of the Moog guitar at Music Mesa. But just before we went into the meeting, they changed the policy and decided they were going to do this kind of, um, you know, teaser campaign and what have you. And it was a real shame because, um, you know, obviously it would have been a great scoop for us. But I did get to see it in the flesh and they showed it to me and what have you. Rich, you're a guitarist. Is it something that you'd be interested in? Well, what I understand about it is that it's uh, an electric guitar with a bunch of ebos in it built in. Uh, one per, at least one per string is the way I heard it. And so allows for uh, ebo-like sustaining possibilities built right into the instrument. And I'd be interested to see how that plays into the signal path and how you're able to modify that um, because there's even a speculation here that uh, you could take sustain away with the Ebo type device you can. which is an interesting which is an interesting have you heard the thing I have yeah I've, I've, had, oh, a, good. I've had an actual well demo, then yeah. that would answer all of my questions because it looks yes it's definitely something I'd be interested to play and uh, see how it works but then again the Ebo the Ebo is never that big of a device to begin with and there there are a range of guys though I know like David Torn who I think might be very you know very intrigued by something like this I think it's really a question because I mean when I saw it and uh, they were really proud of it I mean it's a, be- it's a beautifully made guitar and amazing and apparently the amount of electronics got kind of I know they, I, I think they said 10,000 com- discrete components I may have been wrong but it was certainly multiples of thousands and it's also got some Moog filter circuitry in there and Yes, you're right to a degree. You can you can positively resonate the strings as well as take energy out of them. And it's, you hear this; it's really strange because they just unplug it and you, you just turn it on, and the string it all just starts to vibrate, and you get all the strings can kind of do their thing. And it's quite quite remarkable. But my initial thing was, what 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 would I use this for? You know, how could how could it d- does it open doors musically for me? that I can see, you know, but I think it's probably going to be more for the the collector or the virtuoso guitarist who's looking for a different way of just sort of playing or somebody who's experimental, et cetera, that kind of thing. That's that's my kind of take on it. I may be wrong. Right. I, I agree with you. And and a guy like David Torn, who's known for using guitars to create uh, elaborate soundscapes, um, is one guy who comes to mind. And it sort of descends from on some level, this whole uh, ethereal sustaining thing, uh, in my experience, comes out of the early gong recordings from the 70s, where uh, either Steve Hillage or David Allen were rubbing some sort of piece of metal along the strings to create this sort of ethereal sustaining echoplexy thing. I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. Dave Spears, have you heard anything about this? I mean, is this, I, I know you're not really a guitarist, but can you, I, I'm assuming it's going to be a bit like um, initially, I mean, it's obviously going to cost a lot of money because um, it's hand-built and it's got lots of discrete components and it's Moog and it's sort of special, I suppose. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, I, th- I thought it was the April Fool's, which obviously it isn't. Um, and I love the sound of the Ebos. I think they're fantastic. So, yeah, no, it's kind of with bated breath. I, I wish I'd heard it, actually. It's a, it is a thing of great beauty. And I think, 
you know, if they, because well, I couldn't really hear the effect of the Moog filters in there. It was more like a tone thing, but it was Moog Electronics doing a filtering thing. So I'm just that they're obviously still working on the innards and what have you. So it might have stuff that in it that I hadn't actually heard and they hadn't finished or whatever. But it was, it did look very nice. Did they uh, do any enveloping of the filter from the strings? Um, I am not clear, to be perfectly honest. I don't think so, but I think. When I saw it, it was, you know, this is kind of six, eight weeks ago, so it wasn't quite in that. I don't think it was totally finalised. Maybe they've got that a bit closer. I mean, it had a foot, dedicated foot pedal with it, and I'm trying to remember what that controlled now. Uh, of course, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be talking about this. I might probably, I might get, um, might get problems. <laughs> but I think <laughs> it's start, you know, if they've shown it in public, then I'm sure we can talk about it. But uh, I want to be able to sequence the thing that makes the strings sustain or, or die. Well, that would be I cool to, if you could CV to, it, yeah. CV it up. That would be really cool, yeah. wouldn't it? So that I can run a sequencer, and then I won't have to worry about not being able to play in time. And I just have to make the notes. And if it's strumming for me, it doesn't really matter so much where I put the notes, does it? And that it could like do you know swells in time for me, or little staccato things. And I just move my left, move my left hand around. In fact, I could put both hands on the fingerboard couldn't i and do that kind of 10 finger thing that people do those really fast sounding players <laughs> hammering isn't it is that what it's called yeah yeah i don't know actually i don't know what the rise time is like on on that kind of i guess what are they transducers or something that i mean they're custom hand wound pickups so that obviously makes them fairly special i don't know what the 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 the, ri- think, the rise time is like whether you can actually get them that time. Maybe you can. I don't know. That's an interesting. My, idea. my big worry is that everybody's going to sound like big country. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I don't like them. Oh, do 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 uh, the, the sort of bagpipe lead guitar sound. Yeah, well, that was Ebo, wasn't it? Oh, was it? In no, constant, I, I was it. Yes, oh. it, oh, big, it was one of the guys. Sustain. One of the guys in big country played with using an Ebo to get that bagpipe kind of constant sustained sort of sound so of course um the really big one is the uh, another green world isn't it frippinino i don't think robert fripp used an Ebo. i think he was using i think he was using i have seen him do it live and i've never seen him use an Ebo. i can't uh, okay. guarantee he used to you use, he did. didn't he used to use um an a revox with or an echo uh, tape a pair, echo with a, a massive pair of revoxes a yeah. pair of revoxes side by side on their sides uh, and he would process the guitar into one and out the other and uh, uh, get okay. these extremely long loops. And he, had a, uh, and he had a volume pedal that he was doing the Ebo-like behavior. And then he married whom? Toy, Toy Wilcox. Wilcox. Toy Wilcox. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. I really fancied her. When I was 14, she played a part of somebody called Chula in Eddie Shoestring, and I thought she was, like, really gorgeous when I was about 14. Gorgeous. She uh, was doing a local pantomime here where um, I can't even remember what it was, but it was this Christmas and my folks took the entire family and me and my missus, and she was obviously a serious punk, we sat and she said, and at one point in the in the pantomime, Toy Wilcox shouts out and says, uh, um, what could it possibly be? And both me and the missus shouted out simultaneously, completely unrehearsed, it's a mystery! <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, was her biggest, probably biggest hit, was it? Probably, yeah. Did you did you say it with a mystery? A mystery? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of us. I mean, it was just. <laughs> did she shoot you a vicious look, or did everybody else say it at the same time? There was this sort of pregnant pause, and then she carried on. But it would have been pretty entertaining to have seen her afterwards and owned up to it. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she's quite a nice person. She seems to make all her kind of a living as being a kind of 
rent a mouth for all those kind of chart shows and sort of you know top ten she's, whatever. She's she's very nice and she's completely dyslexic. She did a celebrity countdown and uh, with Wakeman <laughs> and they were doing a kind of scrabble thing and somebody else had backed out and she was called in. They said to Wakey, you know, oh, it's okay, but we got Toya and he said, oh my god, she's completely dyslexic. That's all right, don't worry, I'll help you. So she's arranging these letters like sort of scrabble board and whatnot and she says. Uh, it's it's it reads from left to right, so W X Z P Z telephone. She says <laughs> that's got to be a bit nerve wracking, I suppose. But I think it was pretty cruel. Mm. So um, yeah, from goodness, from Moo Guitar to Toya Wilcox in three easy steps. Yeah, how about that? Eh? And who said <laughs> we were getting off off topic? Two dyslexics counting something down. Yeah, <laughs> what, what can I say? I mean, you know, we just go with the flow, man. That's the whole point. <laughs> I listened to um, I listened to the John Van Eaton podcast today in the gym. Oh, was that the the interview we did with John? Yes. Yeah. So I have to say I must thank that man because he reminded me why I don't go on tour anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was almost I was almost pining for it at the beginning. I was listening to it and I was thinking, God, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? Go, going to all those different places and everything. And then as the podcast went on, I thought, No, it wasn't. What am I thinking? I, I'm much better off where I am psychologically at least he was kind of an interesting guy i mean he's done so much stuff yeah oh yeah it's funny he was talking about those elisis things as well because that's what i used with um the duran duran setup for all of the backing tracks the elisis but i used the qsr with pcm cia cards because that was sort of the most reliable thing at that point in time backing tracks allegedly I recommend, you know, that was a that was what two or three, four weeks ago. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to the John Van Eaton podcast, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, a lot of people seem to enjoy that. Um, so please do. Um, well, thank you very much, guys. I mean, I think we're going to call it a day now. We've done very well. Um, thank you ever so much for joining us. I'm just trying to think if there's anything I wanted to plug on Sonic State because I keep forgetting that we've got our Wigadals World Series. We've got uh, I just put up an episode of the On the Road with Susie Sue. I don't know if anyone saw that. There's a classic moment in there with uh, Steve Evans where he's. He's in the um, the dressing room in Manchester, and it's just the most disgusting toilet you've ever seen in your <laughs> life. And you just think how unglamorous, you know, it, and it really does kind of bring it home as to how it can be when you're touring sometimes. According to, uh, according to my brother's website, Susie used to carry a copy of his record in her handbag at all times, his first record, which was the Stupid Babies record. And and ask DJs to play it in nightclubs, which I thought was sweet. Oh, that's nice. I never got the chance to ask her. I did meet her backstage at one of the local gigs, and um, she... ask her if she's got the stu- earcom three in her handbag next time you see it. All right, I will. I'll see if I can find the right moment. Seems like a fairly <laughs> personal question. <laughs> uh, so, guys. Um, Thanks very much for joining us. Um, obviously, Mr. Dave Robinson has left the building. Um, he's uh, been turfed out of his his fancy, swanky meeting room above the Thames. Anyway, um, um, so thank you all for joining me again this week. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number 85. Um, so thank you, Mr. Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Thank you. And Mr. Richard Hilton. Uh, that's myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Another fine morning spent. Great. And Mr. Mark Tinley, uh, thank you also for your input this week. Yeah, thank you very much. I had to come in from the garden. Oh, really? Was the signal no good? It start raining? No, it's just so bright out there, I couldn't see the notes I'd made on my computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thanks once again for listening. Um, of course, 
feel free to send your comments, musical ditties, notes, uh, anything you like um, to sonictalk at sonicstate.com. You can also leave us a message on our Sonic Talk Skype handle. Uh, we've got the US phone number, which is 312-376-8089. That's 312-376-8089. Call that if you're in the US. Um, we haven't got a European-based one, but um, hopefully we'll work on getting another one. I'd just like to say thanks again to Yamaha UK for continuing to sponsor the podcast. Um, you can go out and check them out at yamahasynth.com. 